Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So one thing I've noticed a lot of, that we fall into these 10-year cycles. In the 90s, we were all about building the communication in our community. And that was really something that you led more of the effort of. I would be one to work on building community in the sense that I did a lot of distribution and a lot of kind of the actions of things. Um, I did a lot of uh, pieces. You did magazines. Yes. And so one of the biggest things we went into the early 90s was using this new technology. You'd already put out the Wheel of Hecate. Mm -hmm. I, I had um, published and edited the Wheel of Hecate. I had uh, done writing and artwork for many other magazines as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in the 80s, you did this sort of, you got into involved with the community. You were involved with the Wiccan Pagan Press Alliance? Uh, during the 80s, I was very heavily involved in um, the Wiccan Press, Wiccan Pagan Press, mm -hmm. uh, with um, a variety of magazines, including the Circle Network News. Mm -hmm. uh, also things like Harvest on the East Coast. Uh, Stardust Salamander in the South, the, uh, the Unicorn out of the Rowan Tree Church, Seasonal Silver out of Georgia, and, uh, and many others. This is an award you won. And uh, I received the uh, Silver Salamander Award for Excellence in Pagan Journalism uh, in 1987, I believe. Is it That's correct, 1987. Yes. So this is an early award, so John has always been very involved with magazines and mm -hmm. we communication. Um, so in the 90s, Don and I met, we basically uh, struck up a very powerful friendship, brothers, mm -hmm. and we are still to this day. And so I was very much involved. He helped me enter the pagan, uh, more important, the Wiccan faith. Now, I'd already been a little bit involved, but not really that much, um, with uh, Chicago, with Don mm -hmm. Cole, and uh, my Gardnerian studies. But basically, I joined up with you. We saw an effort to basically, the idea was... You wanted very much to communicate your family's tradition. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I was very concerned with um, the survival of the tradition and with communicating the ideas of the tradition. And uh, for me, I've been, I've been a, a Christian most of my life, particularly Dominionist and Evangelical. Simultaneously, I was raised as a Catholic, so I had both of those things. I, I've always talked mm -hmm. about it. I had my communion and my baptismal within a week of each other, which was always a fascinating uh, thing. So we got met inside, basically when I entered the psychic services, through uh, a letter I received, which was strange, from Eleanor... Royce. Royce. Eleanor Royce. Eleanor Royce, I guess. She said, oh, they saw me at Karmic Retreat doing tarot cards. I've been doing tarot cards since I was 14. They said, you should join. I went. Uh, Jim and Marlena really liked me, and so mm -hmm. I joined. But I didn't drive. So they said, oh, you can't do a lot of the suburban ones. And they hooked me up with Don. Yes. And we had a lot of, as Don would phrase them, discussions, I would call them debates. And that, that's probably one of the first differences, I think, in style that we, we did, because I saw them as debates. And that was still my lingering Christianism, but I was very much involved with the occult in the community in Chicago. I was out there doing a lot of different things, but for you, you saw it as a discussion. Yeah. 
I remember them as discussions. Yeah, and I saw them as debates. They were very wide-ranging. Yeah. And then out of that process, we realized that I had a set of skills and he had a set of desires and, and to kind of increase the thing. And I thought that Wicca was very good for me and, it, and practicing was very good for me, so it would be very good for other people. So that was the beginning of the 90s. And what we would do is, again, we would start to focus on communication. Um, we talked earlier about magazines. Let's talk about what the 90s were. We were doing a combination of study groups. We opened our first temple up, mm -hmm. the Universal Life Church of Gaia. We basically discovered and found laws as a paralegal at the time, what the laws were about legal administration of, of churches, reverendships. Mm -hmm. What does it take to be a legal minister? And we qualified ourselves for that. Mm -hmm. It would take yeah. a couple more years, but we would establish our own legal identity within the law, not within the thing, because you already had, so... Well, I, I had been first priest of the Corellian tradition for 10 years at the time that we met. And the Corellian tradition really goes back... It go, it, it's a familial tradition, it goes back several generations. And it was really kind of involved with the spiritualist church. It was very spiritualistic, mm -hmm. it was uh, very, very much involved with the universalist church, mm -hmm. which later joined with uh, the Unitarians. Right. And um, considered itself a form of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the way that the word Wicca was initially used as coined by Charles Cardell, it came under the heading of Wicca. Now today people fight over the meaning of the term Wicca, but we still hold to that original meaning and still consider ourselves to come under it. And we had been, we had, we had, worked, we had, we had been incorporated briefly, but mm -hmm. it didn't offer us a lot at that time. Mm -hmm. um, in the 90s we incorporated again, and... Um, learned a lot more about legal structure because familial tradition has nothing to do with legal structure. And that was a big difference. We started mm -hmm. working with legal structures. Well, I had made a prayer. I, I tell people this story sometimes, that I made a prayer to learn what the Christians knew that we did not. Mm -hmm. And then you showed up. And you had that training, mm -hmm. which told us basically all the things we needed to know. And so, yeah, and very much um, I was evangelically trained. As a child, I mean, I was a dominionist, I was preaching at five years old, handing out Bibles, I was doing all of that. And my crash of faith came in my teenage years, realizing that this was not, well, the truth is, I, I'm anti-apocalyptic. Um, I just not believe in the apocalypse. What, what loving God would then destroy everything they built? Um, you know, it would be like, a, to me, it was very much like the ant farm. You know, you build mm -hmm. an ant farm, and you bring those ants in, and you raise those ants, and all of a sudden you say, that, oh, I don't like them, and you're going to destroy them all? That's a very cruel thing to do. So that was something that Wicca offered me, was the idea that I could get past that paradigm. Mm. So we entered into the 90s. We started doing, um, I remember, Sea Priestess, the yeah. shop. I would be teaching uh, sort of these basic workshops as I was learning them. Mm. You would be teaching ritual. We began public ritual by mm. 91. Um, yes. Yeah, well, so that, I, you know, everybody At knows. Least. I took on my full vows November 11th, 1991, with my first initiation um, as a Corellian, and from that point on we began to work. And one of the biggest things we did was we wanted to know that we had to communicate. Mm -hmm. Our first decade, so this is very important, so we really launched Psychic City Chicago, which became Roundtable Magazine. Mm -hmm. We basically created the first co-working office for psychics. One of the, you know, today yeah. we talk about co-working. We called it uh, a rent an office, but it was shared space. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, you were very much in charge of that. You and our team. We had a, we had a team um, of people, and we mm -hmm. did. You led rituals. Occasionally, I would read mm -hmm. you know rituals. Yes, at one time I did a lot of ritual work. That's true. Um, and we would do the magazines, mm -hmm. and we would produce over a hundred magazines, hundred issues over the nineties. And so throughout the nineties, we used this very new. And what's important to understand, it was very much new technology. Xerox. Mm -hmm. The Xerox companies had come in, built Kinkos, mm -hmm. built all the sorts of things. So Don would do it. We talked about this, and we were like cutting edge, but you were like, you were cutting and pasting. We started well, out. That's how it was done then. You, you um, when I first started doing magazines, you would type them on a typewriter. Later, we were using a word, a word processor. Mm -hmm. You would cut them out, and you would tape them together. That's what cut and paste literally meant. We actually have those originals still. We do. I think we have all of our originals, mm -hmm. and I think I have most of the magazines that I did artwork for otherwise in the 80s and, and into the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 90s, I was also involved with the other people through Pathfinder Press, and I had done a lot of work for Panegyria, the uh, magazine of the Aquarian Tabernacle. So you not learned just, just, so the other people, which was a, a story created by Oberon Zell. Yeah, illustrated by me. Illustrated by me and put out by Path, Pathfinder by, Press. Press. Pathfinder does that. And you did a second one. Yes. School prayer. Yes, it was about school prayer based on a newspaper article mm -hmm. that Pete got the permission for from the author. Mm -hmm. And I illustrated it. And we talked about a third one, but it never came to pass. Right. And the idea, they were based on chick tracks. And if you don't know what a chick track is, consider yourself blessed. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were nasty little religious tracks that um, extremely radical types would um, leave around on subways and the like, attacking everything that was not from Jack Chick's particular brand of Christianity. And they were very, very prominent in those days, and this was what, what Pete was pleased to call an anti-tract. Mm -hmm. uh, it presented a different point of view, but in the same format, so that someone who might have been inclined to pick up uh, a Chick tract might have picked it up anyway, and maybe had their eyes open. I think the Warren Tabernacle Church is starting to produce them again. I believe they are producing them again, yes. And so that was the, so we saw we used these sort of really cutting edge. The other thing that would happen is that in our shared office space, Psychic Services Incorporated, mm -hmm. I saw, I met uh, Captain Invitesimal, Scott Smintak, mm -hmm. um, who was dating one of our members, and he you know, said he was in radio. And I said, oh, I would love to do commercials on radio. And he goes, oh, no, it won't do you much good to do radio, but why don't you buy yourself a show? What? Now, at this point, there was nowhere in my mind that we were crossing. We were doing magazines. Mm -hmm. We were doing psychic readings. We had done one of the first uh, psychic art and crystal fairs in Chicago. Yeah. And so we had already begun, begun this process. We were doing public ritual, which uh, was recorded. It was mm -hmm. one of those early recordings. So we were... Yeah. I had done quite a bit of um, public access television, but never as a host, only as a guest. Right. And so this opportunity, and we were on uh, WCEV, uh, 1490, um, and we got to buy what was uh, that off time. We spent $75 an hour. In a real honest-to-goodness radio station. Not a podcast, but the old, kind, the old stations where uh, if you push the wrong button, it was, it was a big deal. Oh, yeah, <laughs> many lives. And probably the most famous shows that we did out of there, we would do... And we would interview the community. This is where we began our mm -hmm. voices of the community. We would use this new technology. And everybody goes, 
well, how'd you get that? And we bought it for ourselves because we believe, and this is a big thing that we even that early on, we have to control our own media. We had to control our own voice. I mean, this was about it. So it was an hour show every week for about three years. We interviewed a lot of people, uh, especially the Ouija board. Ouija board's gateway to hell is probably one of the most famous ones we did. That was memorable. I remember using a gold coin for a planchette. Yeah. For a live Ouija board. And that's the most exciting idea, but we did that. And what and what what did the Ouija board say? Do you remember? I don't. It spelled out the sentence Don is psychic. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Or in other words, why are you using this? Why are you using this? And uh, but we also interviewed a lot of the leadership of, of the Chicago community, uh, mm-hmm. Donna Cole, Vicki Carlson, and what we did is we used it to create a community. And while it lasted about three years. Um, we saw that it was a very important tool. So we would always use the most important tool. We would continue on with magazines. And then after 1993, Parliament of World Religions, I would mm-hmm. probably receive... I'd been working on the Parliament of World Religions as the first pagan volunteer. Most people don't realize it. I worked on the office for a couple of years. And then when I got there, I got to be assistant stage manager. So I got to, uh, to learn a lot about the, how the Parliament works. And I became mm-hmm. very enthralled with it. But we were very much scorned. I mean, the Greek Orthodox Church walked out and everything else. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Don's vision that he had 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 really laid home that we need to be accepted. But the important thing about all this is so the 90s represented communication. What would happen is that we would then, in 98, turn on a dime. November 11th, 1998, we would turn on a dime and we would stop producing magazines because they got more expensive, the technology had gotten there, there was easier to do so, and we got, went into doing the Daily Spell. Mm-hmm. We went into an e-newsletter. This is important to notice, and it took us a little while to get there, and we would start that. And I remember mm-hmm. we, and we started sending out Don's lessons of Koreanism. Mm-hmm. We did a couple of other things first, and then we did that, and we would yeah. bring out other news. Originally it was the Daily Goddess. Right. The Daily Spell was literally just that, mm-hmm. um, and there were like half a dozen others. Yeah, we had Daily Astrology, we, did, we had control of it on a group called One List. I got in there very, very early on mm-hmm. and basically controlled a lot of that space. Around that time, we started doing the Chancellor's Chat Room on um, About.com, which still, it's been on hiatus for a couple of months, but it still runs today. Yep, absolutely. So we were very much making this transition into the web. We knew about the web, mm-hmm. um, but we then put the lessons up on telepathicmedia.com. And so the whole year of 99, I would go in and go in there. We were starting this sort of message. And Daily Goddess News really helped with a project called the Goddess 2000 Project. Yes. Abby Willowitz, and blessed me, I'm beloved Abby Willowitz, who's a member. She, most people don't know, but she wasn't, you know, we offered, at one time we wanted to offer the lavender stole, and she refused it. She went on to receive a purple one instead. She preferred, she wanted to be a real high priestess of our tradition, and not just an honorary one, and we've always been very accepting of it. Absolutely. And she gave me the first inclination, because I would go to the parliament, and then I would carry out in the world this idea of the Goddess 2000 Project. And I became a regional manager, I became really kind of a right-hand man on the web, and this was a real thing because I learned, oh my God, we went to 65 countries, we had hundreds of groups involved, and produced, I believe, more than a million pieces of mm-hmm. art. Beautiful pieces. Beautiful pieces, ranging pieces, simple pieces, kid pieces, all sorts of pieces, and throughout mm-hmm. 2000. A goddess on every corner. And through these communications, through the Daily Goddess News and a communication, mm-hmm. 
people you knew, but people that started backing us. People who joined us, Reverend Laura Jane's daughter, yes. the Fellowship of ISIS. And at that time, I didn't know if I could make it to the Parliament of World Religions. I was a little short, and I was doing a little bit of fundraising. I sold off my D&D collection. Yes. Painful it is if you're a D&D. You know how painful. So I wanted this. And she then basically said, well, I want you to represent the Fellowship of ISIS of L.A., mm-hmm. of the Los Angeles, of her group. Um, Temple and, of ISIS, Los Angeles. And uh, then she got permission from Olivia to let me go ahead and, and, and act as that voice. Because... Uh, Olivia has a lot to do with my history, too, but that's not today's subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the, um, the 98 Parliament 99. in South Africa. 99 Nine. Parliament in South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. 1999 South African Parliament. And so, and what would he do? Don handed me his camera. Mm-hmm. Lori Dakey, one of my friends to this day, handed me her laptop. Mm-hmm. And we went there and we filmed it. Some of the films still out there. Some of it we've never seen the light of day, which will. Uh, that's true. Some of it. Some of it is on Magic TV, a very little bit, mm-hmm. and there's an awful lot that isn't, um, because Magic TV came along a lot later. We didn't, we had not, this, that's a, we're jumping ahead, but we did do this video to make sure that we had a record. Mm-hmm. And, and from there, the Daily Goddess News really blew up because we were reporting live, as a pagan reporters, live from that floor. I was able to get in there and I was doing live reports from the parliament in the form of text. And that is. So that would set the thing. And I came back with a basic single premise. So Don was working the Daily Spell. People were taking the essays. They were doing the mm-hmm. subjects. We were like that. And all of a sudden, we had six mentors helping us. You had 26,000 essay tests. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tests. Tests. Individual mm-hmm. 13... Individual tests that a total of seven of us were trying to deal with. Right. And it was growing every day. And one of the things we did, the Spirit didn't let us, is when I received the original group, I did not set it up as a closed group. A lot of those groups were. Mm-hmm. The Daily Goddess News was never intended to. I Ching, astrology, we brought out a lot of that. Daily Goddess News was the most successful of all those projects. Um, and in that, so, so Don, you know, we saw this, and so Don had this sort of thing, and I came from the Parliament, the need that we needed to do better education. So, boom. The beginning of this sort of change. So in the 90s, you saw us go ahead and complete the project of outreach to the community, creating sort of these powerful mm-hmm. newsletters, this sort of personal communication and text. And we continue to do so. But, and from it, we began to see your tradition mm-hmm. and mine yes. um, start to really expand. I mean, mm-hmm. we had hundreds and hundreds of members. By the end of the 90s, it was an international tradition. That's right. We had picked up our South African uh, temple. Mm -hmm. We had a few other people out there in the world. And we grew. And one of the reasons, why do you think it grew so much? (laughs) Well, I'm not exactly an impartial person to ask. I think it grew in part because the information, the teachings of the tradition are very accessible in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, physically, they were accessible to people. People who could not find teaching in other ways because perhaps there were not temples in their neighborhood, perhaps they were geographically isolated, perhaps they were disabled. They could find teaching with us and the teaching that they found uh, was very open, very common sense oriented and and very spiritually accessible as well as physically accessible. So in the 90s we focused on getting the information out there on how to be a Wiccan, how to be a witch. We didn't believe in being oogie boogie. Right. A lot, there were a lot of people who wanted to be all oogie-boogie about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And our attitude was we are a happy, welcoming community. And at the same time, and I had a very big, again, like my baptism and my Catholicism, I was also working on Gardnerian, and I didn't like a lot of the gatekeeping that we were doing. Mm -hmm. To me, when I, one of the things I loved about do, working with the Corellians is that I was able to avoid the gatekeeping. Yeah, we had no gatekeeping to speak of no. in, in any conventional sense. We, did, we, did, we do have uh, levels of clergy, but that's another matter. Yeah, gatekeeping. Anyone could aspire to them. And we, we recognize that we were really, so to, we come to 2000. Mm -hmm. um, the famous story is I was really like, saw Don struggling with this. Um, we were all struggling with that sort of thing. I was still putting out information. And I, and I basically used magic. And I said, oh, I need enlightenment. And I lit an orange candle for enlightenment. And the very next day, I saw Phoenix University bus. The Phoenix University. Now, you think Phoenix University and online education. Not heard of. It was like everybody was making fun of it. And I go, mm. that's our answer. And mm. it would take me about a year to find a terrific programmer, a genius of a programmer, and Lisa to it. Yes. And Don was writing these courses, and we had the first mm. degree done. We had the, you know, the five mystic circuits. And we put it all together, and that's September 4th, 2001, we opened it. Yes. Basically, 10 years after we made the pledge to communicate and spent the year creating decade, mm -hmm. our first decade, and this is an important central part to understand, then we entered into, you know, in the 2000s was the Goddess 2000 project. We learned about the internet more. Mm -hmm. In 2001, Lisa Tuitt, Don Lewis, Ed Hubbard opened Witch School on September 4th, 2001. Yes, a week before 9-11. And we wouldn't realize how much that would change us, too. And on that first day, uh, we had 1,200 people sign up. Mm -hmm. At the end of that first week, we had 2,000 members. And what it did was we, again, utilized the best technology. We spent a lot of sweat, blood, and tears. Mm -hmm. And we created an automated system for the test. And we got all sorts of terrible. I mean, when I presented the idea, one of the most famous things I presented the idea before it was that I want other groups to join us. We always wanted other groups mm -hmm. to join us. And I was there with Oberon Zell, Rick Johnson, Jeremy Baker at Crossroads, where, in other parts of the story, where I became even more known as Ed the Pagan because I was media-oriented. They all laughed at me. I mean, just didn't laugh. They belly laughed. But that didn't deter us. We no. never got deterred by that. And our friends and everything else, so we would build Witch Bowl. And we were shocked. Me and Lisa were driving back from Florida. We wanted this name so bad. We wanted the name, and when we got home, we bought it. Not the fourteen ninety nine. That was seventy five dollars back then to buy uh, a name, mm -hmm. and so we bought it, and we built a site, and it became easy to access, and we started charging twenty nine ninety nine for a lifetime membership. Yeah, you're not supposed to charge for it. Everybody was trying to get us. So this is a very big point of it, I think, for us is that Usen started able to start clearing some of that backlog. Yes, we had mentors on that day, mm -hmm. and you were able to kind of express it, and why automate. We automated the transcripts. We automated the testing system. Mm -hmm. We automated so many tools for the mentors. Mm -hmm. And it had a very particular effect. It allowed the teachers to teach, not grade papers. Yeah. It allowed them to express themselves. We had chat rooms. You know, mm -hmm. You're still doing the about.com uh, chat room. Yeah. You do that for about another year before we would bring it onto our own system. Mm -hmm. So we took this sort of system. So the 2000. 2000, we began this process of building online schools. Yes. And we helped others build online schools. We helped Grayscale. We helped a number of schools. You know, mm. we kind of shared this idea out there. Um, we eventually moved to Hubson, which was the great Hubson fight. 
Yeah. That was always surprising for you that you because because we moved to Hudson because that was your hometown. It was not, not my hometown. hometown. Danville was, but your home county. Yeah, it was. It was my home region, and I was not expecting any particular uh, controversy because I had been I had been publicly pagan since '76. Um, yeah, and never encountered any significant issues there. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised to find that there were people who had issues there. In fact, in Danville. In the 70s, you could buy books on Wicca in downtown Danville mm-hmm. on Main Street. Uh, and I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, although anyone who remembers the 70s will know there weren't that many of those. But they would show up right there in Danville. And he was, he was selling them right in his shop and nobody thought anything of it. And it was not a metaphysical shop. It was actually a tobacconist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a little surprised to, uh, to find that reaction from what I, I did not consider that kind of area. Right. And we learned something very important from the lesson. We would have over 150 people protesting us in the streets of this small town. Yes. And we got picked Bust up. Bust in for the purpose. Bust in for the purpose, absolutely. And we had some encounters with it. But one of the things that happened was they didn't realize that we understood media and that we had so many news reports and over 600 Christian radio stations in that network were broadcasting about how bad we were. Yes. They were against Harry Potter. They're like, and our numbers just expanded overnight. Yes. And so we would continue on our process. But remember, we're building a school, and Don had always had a strong belief in video. Yes. So once you talk about that, why very early on was video important to you? Well, firstly, I've always loved video. Mm-hmm. I, I remember writing little screenplays when I was a child with, with mm-hmm. camera angles and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always an interest, but uh, in terms of um, why it was so important in my mind, uh, in this context, I think video is very immediate. Mm-hmm. It gives you a sense of who you're dealing with that other media do not. Right. Uh, you can read a book and think you've come away with a feel for the author. Then you see the author and see how they actually speak, and they're very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, in video, you see a person much more as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a more immediate sense of them. You get, um, in, a lot of, in a lot of ways, I would say a more direct communication and a more direct impression of the personality. You also uh, get all of the visual input, which is so important to people, much more than they think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, to see an altar tells you a lot more than you, than, uh, you can get by simply reading about it. To see a ritual tells you a lot more than you'll come away with from, from reading it. And um, with, uh, with a lot of the video that we've done, we would go to events mm-hmm. and film parts of the events, interview people. And we were doing that in the 90s. Right. And there are old, uh, old videotapes of people like Donna Cole Schultz mm-hmm. um, that uh, hopefully will one day be transcribed. But you, you, in my opinion, get a much more effective view mm-hmm. of, of what you're looking at through video. So we had a very interesting encounter. Uh, was, uh, we had a reading done. I had a reading done, and then you, you were there too. Yeah. And it was one of the second fairs that I actually hosted at the Peace and Music Fest, 1993. Mm-hmm. Right before the Parliament of World Religions. It was during the summer. A hot day. We did okay financially, but it wasn't the greatest thing, but it was okay. And I spent a fortune. I remember buying that big tent. and yeah. We had a great time. But Rosemary decided, Rosemary Fletcher decided to give me a reading. 
And in that reading, she said, someday you're going to have all that you ever wanted in that. She says, you're going to run a newspaper, you're going to run a radio station. She made it very clear that I was going to run a media company that everybody in the world will be able to get involved with. Mm -hmm. That you're going to broadcast the entire world. And that's a very important prophecy that was made. And so, so she, she had no idea that she was talking about something that was internet-based because the internet was not in most people's consciousness then. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I remember she described it as a daily newspaper. It was a daily newspaper. She absolutely said, we're going to have a daily newspaper, we're going to do radio, we're going to have, you know, then we're going to get into it. And eventually, in that prophecy, it was like, you're going to be a broadcaster, you're going to be like a full-fledged mm -hmm. broadcaster. Um, and this is something that's very important. And so we took that. Mm -hmm. So now here we are. Don, we've been doing all this video, but it really doesn't get that much action. We get a little mm -hmm. bit of action. We a little bit of gone on cable. A lot of it's still archived. Mm -hmm. We decided we we're going to build, and we did Magic TV. Magic yeah. is everywhere. So is television. Everybody says, that's the stupidest. Well, now, now they say, what is television? It was kind of our motto. So magic is everywhere, so is television. And we kind of knew that was a very important part because, again, we're building the school, we're building the sort of thing, and this sort of decade of the 2000s, we were really trying to reach more people. We started building our own system. We went on air. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason Mycroft and uh, Michael Farrell actually built a, a website and, um, called Magic TV. And we were posting things like uh, we did the first pagan, November 11th, the uh, uh, 2005 would be one of the very first shows we would do, and that would be Pagan Nightly News. So we had yes. this idea of doing Nightly News. Something that if that's going to be important for us to do later, but at that time we did it. And then in February 2006, we found YouTube. Yes. And we went on there. And that helped expand. So everybody now, we believe everybody should learn how to get their uh, station as, as much as anything. It gave you really an outlet to do the classes. Yes. Which are now. So that, why don't you talk a little bit about that process? Because then all of a sudden you had really broadcast ability. Well, yes. And we did all kinds of different things with it. We did Living the Wicked Life, which um, followed our adventures for a while. Mm -hmm. We, uh, um, I, I did the video lessons for first degree, which mm -hmm. took forever. Currently working on the video lessons for second degree. We did interviews with anyone who would hold still. Yeah. And originally it was just 10 minutes. I mean, people yeah, forget yeah. that. So people forget all these different adventures. Our first thing was 10 minutes long. Yeah, it could not be more than 10 minutes. It could not be more than um, a, cer a certain 100 size. megabytes. Yeah, very small by today's standards. Mm -hmm. um, there was no such thing as high definition. No. It took us um, as much as an hour to two hours to upload some stuff. Yeah. It was a different world. You look at what's cap what, what, what it's capable of now, it's capable of much more. But the fact remains that the record of those times is very valuable. To mm -hmm. see the people who, uh, who were prominent at that time, many of the people we interviewed are no longer in the physical realm. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the events that we've gone to, um, well, some of them are still, many of them are still going, like the St. Louis picnic. Uh, others are now part of history. Mm -hmm. um, so St. Louis Picnic was the first major event that we traveled to, I believe. Actually, I believe it was in Living the Wiccan Life, yes. Okay. Earlier we had done uh, the Fellowship of Isis Convention in That's Chicago. That's true. And wow. the Fellowship of Isis Convention in Chicago still goes on, uh, but it's, 
in those days it was run by the archpriestess Dina, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, is no longer in the physical, and it had um, very interesting things. Very interesting. Absolutely. Things so uh, and uh, so yeah, but St. Louis become would St. Louis Pagan Picnic and it still is today is the, probably the only event that we actually have filmed almost every year that we've gone. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, we filmed St. Louis Pagan Picnic for fifteen years or more now. Yeah, absolutely. They're a big and they're big, and we've always been really blessed that they're big supporters mm-hmm. of us. Um, so wonderful we were, event. So Pantheacon, you know, it's going to be so Pantheacon. We were the first to, to actually be allowed to film mm-hmm. openly in Pantheacon. We yes. have that reputation, and there's a lot of events we did. So we start capturing the Obama, so that we'd be important. The Obama. Yeah, there was a blessing ritual when President Obama was inaugurated. We filmed that. It's all available. So we knew that the video, but in 2005, nobody really believed in video. Everybody was like, oh, why would we have a camera? Remember, the community really resists this idea of video and being in videos. There was a lot of resistance to it. And, like, and again, why are you sharing? Which was something that you didn't share? They started to get real some acceptance. I mean, so we were very focused on making sure that we served our Members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was odd to me mm-hmm. uh, because throughout my career I'd always been involved in things that were outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pagan press community was very, very um, focused on outreach, at least mm-hmm. as I experienced it. So it was odd to me that, that, that uh, so many people seemed to not like that idea. And then we were in Houston and everything else, and all this began to keep going. And so we've been. So we continue, and so the rest of the 2000 story is very simple. Mm-hmm. We filmed, we wrote classes, we built courses, we upgraded mm-hmm. the system, continued on. 2009, we would jump into podcasting. In 2009, we would then jump into the next project. So we were kind of like, kind of at 2009, it was like, okay, we did a rewrite of Witch School. People don't realize we did a big rewrite of Witch School to keep it contextual mm-hmm. and we decided that we needed this idea of blogging and this idea of podcasting came in and we hadn't been out of radio 1999 we'd left terrestrial radio it was no longer necessary mm-hmm. um, we were did one of the very first IRC radios our first internet radio shows back in 99 mm-hmm. we joined blog talk radio and we began podcasting we would start the daily spell again Remember, we'd always been doing the sailing spell. We moved out of the Yahoo groups onto a Ning site. And we would do another thing, literally 10 years ago. And we would make another big exchange. It's very important. We would then say, how can we communicate better? We had already done the email groups. We had already done the terrestrial radio. We had already done the newsletters. We had already done and continued to do newsletters. I mean, we hadn't stopped. Um, we continued to do all of it. We decided we needed to have a, a social site, mm. and we built Witch School Social. It wasn't a daily spell; that would come much later. Yeah, it was Witch School Social site. We built a site so that we can do more of stuff inside, and then we would join Facebook and Twitter. Yes. So we decided that in order to communicate, we had to exchange our, our ideas, and it was tough. A lot of people didn't want to do it, but they they agreed with us. But we continued to do it. And we started to go on Facebook literally 10 years ago. But one of the things that we found is it's very important to remember that it's your message, not your platform, that mm-hmm. matters. 
but that people are very attached to their platforms. Mm -hmm. And you have to go ahead and pursue that next platform, um, even though people may not always understand, because the one you're on is likely to become obsolete. Mm -hmm. Look at Yahoo groups today. Right. So when we started on Facebook, and there's a few members of ours um, who actually were part of the beta. Um, I found this out mm -hmm. recently. Uh, Aisha, mm -hmm. she was invited as a, she's been on it for 14 years. She was invited as a beta. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you hear people say, well, Twitter's for showing pictures of your food. And that Facebook is for college kids. Why would anyone want that? And, what, you know, you're going to get these sort of, you know, and that. But we invested on that really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, 420 characters on Facebook, 140 characters on Twitter. We just worked it every day. We sent out our messages. We sent out our stuff. We would form, every time they would move, we would invest. Um, we would get on other, you know, other social platforms. We would then... And the most important platform we did is that we started doing podcasting on a daily basis. This is essentially mm -hmm. saying everybody said you couldn't do it, but we decided we were going to have a full-fledged radio station. Mm -hmm. Pegasus Tonight became that big platform for us. And literally today we have 3,100 episodes, mm -hmm. over 6,000 um, 6, um, hours of radio on it. Yeah. I sat down and figured it out. If you got up every day... And watched nothing for it but the shows for 16 hours and listened to them. It took eight hours for sleep. It would take you a little more than a year to listen to everything we put out. Yeah. And we did a lot of great pieces. So we focused on in this. In podcasting. And just in podcasting. Um, today we have over, I guess, two and a half million listens to all of our podcasting. At the same time, we're still kind of doing the Magic TV thing. We didn't mm -hmm. back off of it. We doubled down on the YouTube situation. Mm -hmm. And today we have over, I looked it up, we have like 4,600 different pieces of video. Wow. And we have over 4 million listen, uh, views of it. Um, so that was our big focus in the 2010s, was to be a part of the social media world to continue to broadcast this. And so here we go. This is where we're at. And what is important to us is that, once again, we're starting to see... The internet changed. Now today, mm -hmm. Facebook is a full-fledged television station. Most mm -hmm. people don't realize that. We're seeing some emergence of it. So today, we're going to talk to you about Vision 2030. As you know, we are really strong into working our projects in a decade. And I have one of my favorite sayings from Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins, is that we overestimate what we can do in a year, underestimate what we can do in a decade, and we have no clue what we can do in a lifetime. That last line I put in myself, because I've learned that to be true. Mm. So as, as, we, as you know, we've, over the years, have created projects, and usually they take about a decade to mature. We see things that are about a decade into the future. And so this time, we want to really talk to you about our next project. Today, we have to continue to create our culture. We have to create a permanence in our culture in a way we haven't done before. As you know, we were strong in the 90s in magazines. And we created communication so that people could learn about our faith. And we practiced media. And we even made sure that we did media well in the 90s so that we can be in the mainstream media. In the 2000s, we went out and created a, we created a school, a very powerful school that would help people become, no matter what walk of life they are, no matter what they wanted to do, no matter who they were, they were able to get an education from anywhere in the world with us. And in that process, we gave it to them in any form we can give it to them in video, which gave birth to Magic TV. 
In the 2010s, we began to expand that and give a platform not just to our own school, but to our community through Pegasus Tonight Radio, Magic TV, Facebook, Twitter, and the social media. So we made sure that we were integrated into the social media. So we now we see another shift happening. And that shift is we need to take much more control of our data. Ten years ago, you wouldn't even talk about controlling your data, but now we know we have to take control of our data, control of our archives, and create permanent cultural structures out there to do so. And at the same time, we need to go ahead and become a full-fledged broadcaster of shows. We need to create not just informational material, but entertainment and every type of show you can imagine. And that's kind of where we are now. We see that this is a really important aspect. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Well, you can't complain about how other people portray you if you're not also portraying yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you, um, if you want to be seen as you are, you must take control of your own image and you must get it out there for people to see. Otherwise, people will portray you however they want. And you've been very much involved as a community pioneer from the Wheel of Hecate. Well, earlier than that, but yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> earlier. But, but your biggest endeavor personally. Yes. Yeah. That you would go ahead and go beyond just you know, working with other people's systems mm. into the Tarot of Hecate, or the Wheel of Hecate. Yes, the Wheel of Hecate magazine. Wheel of Hecate magazine, and then you did Psychic Chicago magazine. Mm hmm Roundtable magazine. Yeah. And then we went into doing the Daily Spell. Yeah. And then writing classes for Witch School, mm -hmm. which would eventually get us six books published, right? Yeah. At least. No, oh, yeah, six yeah. personal books mm -hmm. published out of that. You would get that published out there, so we met that. And we would go into the new Magic TV to yeah. this day. You did daily vlogs. You still do daily, daily, daily vlogs that answer people's direct questions. I still do. I don't do them necessarily daily at this point, but I still do them. You didn't have I plan to resume them on a daily basis, but uh, while we've been uh, working on the school rebuild, it's been a little much. Absolutely. But in this process that you mm. saw then, so very early on, you saw the mm. need to communicate. I've always, I've always been focused on communication. And surprisingly, I feel like I've been really involved with mm. the distribution and the construction of infrastructure. Yeah, I, I felt I've always felt that I'm much more of an architect than I am any, than, than the actual. So I built. I feel like I built cyber houses and internet houses and these communication houses that other people can live in. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and that brought us to Pegasus Tonight Radio, which was a very proud thing. Magic TV continues today as, as one of the oldest and one of the more powerful accounts because we can do a lot of things. I find out a lot of other. Oh, that, that's true. We can do things on magic on. Uh... YouTube. Magic TV at YouTube that other YouTube channels cannot do mm -hmm. uh, because we uh, have been there so long and um, we're, have, been, have been grandmothered into a lot of things. We were there, yeah, we were there before YouTube was really taken off. We were there within six months of them actually forming. Mm -hmm. So we've seen this over and over again. We did and Blog Talk Radio. We've t you know we and I was able to the voices of the pagan world, and we had great station managers. We had great shows. We give them that. And so we have these sort of presentations. So today, we have to go a step further. We need to create permanence. And so what do I mean by permanence? Well, and that means we, need, we are now focusing ourselves on helping establish real-time temples. You're right. Mm -hmm. Physical spaces. We see that our community, in order to preserve itself, in order to really live a free religious life, to mm -hmm. have a personal life, we need to now go ahead and move into building temples, 
building organizations that ha support temples, campgrounds, community centers, community centers, sort of a permanent things, and at the same time archive and control data and support the community in general. Well, you know, one of the things that our community often experiences is a kind of generational disconnect. Mm -hmm. It seems like every generation has a very, very limited idea of what the previous generation did because there's so little communication between them. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons for that is that so much of that information is just lost. Uh, you mentioned Victoria Carlson earlier. Mm -hmm. One of the things that she most regretted, there had been a photographer in the Chicago community mm -hmm. who had, through the 80s, I think mm -hmm. even into the 70s, had gone to all the different events and photographed Mm -hmm. everything and uh, the way she put it she he photographed all the high priestesses in, the, in their finery mm -hmm. and then one day he disappeared presumably died and all of those photos were gone absolutely no way to pass that on to the next generation um, probably the heart, most heartbreaking one for me is the mm -hmm. temple of sacred stones mm -hmm. a beautiful temple beautiful books of shadows beautiful all, artwork collection beautiful artwork collection when Don uh, Reverend Don uh, uh, high priestess Don Lady passed, Morta. Lady Morta passed away. It got broken up, and then today we couldn't tell you where it is. No. Um, we see this over and over again. So we attempted in the early 2000s to build a museum, realizing that we, we were, again, projecting ideas. But what we now know is that we have to support these types of structures. Mm -hmm. Libraries, you know, places to hold books, museum-like structures, temple-like structures... Living structures for our members. We've seen so many members pass into uh, old age and, and suffer miserably mm -hmm. because they had no place to go. So this is our commitment tonight, to today, this new year, this two, 2020s, which is going to be an amazing time, mm -hmm. is that it's going to take us 10 years. We know that. You, uh, we, it's not an overnight thing. We have a lot of structure for it. Now, one reason why we can do this do this is that we've already shown continuity. If you look at some of the things we're going to talk about, we have shown from, in your case, from the 80s, mm -hmm. my case from the 90s, we're able to build continuity. Things that we build really last. We save the documents. We have libraries. We have all of it. And now we're moving, not a, and for our Corellian tradition, is to create a Corellian spaces. We already mm -hmm. do have Corellian temples. And we want to make sure that they continue to exist. Such as Sacred Sea Temple in Atlanta, mm -hmm. uh, Chosen Path Temple in mm -hmm. uh, Jacksonville. These are actually dedicated structures. Mm -hmm. And we want to see them become more dedicated. So we, the land that they are on is permanently theirs. We see great people like uh, Guy, uh, Wisteria and Gaia's Retreat and Circle Sanctuary having those spaces for camping and for tenant. We want to see more of that. So we are going to help other groups just as we've helped everyone with their broadcasting of radio and magic TV and all of this, we want to help everybody kind of structure their future. This is going to be tough. This is probably the toughest challenge we've taken on. But very important. And in that process, so I'm dedicating myself and Don's dedicated himself mm -hmm. to back me up, is I'm going to take a year on the road. This mm -hmm. first project, and everybody goes, what do you mean by that? I get back to what we do best. We communicate, and now we need to communicate culture. And we, in the 2000s, saw a lot of people wanting to build reality shows and kind of that. But they never liked the way we looked. They never... We did so many pilots, uh, so many sizzle reels. 
We did so many of those, and they never really liked the way we looked because yeah, we, we just weren't oogie boogie enough. Uh uh-uh. uh, no, no. They would go off to the ghost hunters and things of that nature. Yeah, we have never been the oogie boogie people. So, in order to do so, I am not going to create a reality show this year out of this sort of thing, this sort of reality documentary, because we've never had more opportunity. Netflix, Hulu, Gaia, even if we broadcast ourselves, we are going to build this television station. And at the same time, we're going to take the same presence we have. We've seen a lot of changes. Facebook Live, Facebook Watch, Twitter. Um, we see VNMO. We see a lot of this. TikTok, one of the things we're getting involved with, the new platforms. We see the platforms are about to change. And in that process of changing, we're going to become a very strong broadcaster on a daily basis of more content so that we can control our message. I think that's a very important message for people. And through this control of these messages, by giving people the entertainment, giving people the ability to find each other, because one of the things I think the problem in the community is, is that we're still not communicated well enough inside. Lots yeah. of people can help. Lots of people want to help. I mean, there's all sorts of projects out there, proposed credit unions. Um, there's people who want to buy land projects. There's people who want to do so much, but they're not communicating well enough. They're not able to. Well, we're in a unique position to continue that process. And um, so and one last thought, so Don, one of the things is, is that you have always, and if you've ever seen his pictures, look, you've always wanted a temple. You've got designs and patterns for temples. Yes. I, I, I feel that, um, although obviously not uh, as an initial phase, but eventually I feel that we need to have uh, not just our own physical spaces, uh, but spaces that are recognizably sacred. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a single form of architecture identified with us, but architecture that is um, sacred in character and different from... Uh, what you might see elsewhere. I think that if you look at any other religion, you will see this. And I think that it is important for our future to have an eye to this. What form that will ultimately take, of course, depends on people. Uh, but I have uh, often designed over the years mm -hmm. um, images of sacred spaces with that in mind, that, the, that they would put you in that frame of mind, that they would, they would take you to a spiritual state of being by their nature. And I would hope that as we find these spaces, um, that with the passage of time, they would transcend the prosaic uh, and be a visual manifestation of the things that we believe and the things that we do, not just a place to do them. And not only that, so we have years of these images being created. And we're going to build them physically. And if you, haven't know, if you have not known our record, we, we, we set out and create things. But one of the biggest exchanges that is about to happen is that we're going to see a virtualized world. So we are able to build these spaces, not just in the physical, but in virtual reality. Where you and I and all of us can go out and through our astral projection onto the internet world is going to be able to see these images as well. So these will be there. We're going to use these spaces to create archives. We're going to save our history. We may hear about a lot of things that are going to happen over the next 10 years, but we're going to create spaces that are sacred to us. They're going to hold our history. They're going to hold our space. They're going to hold our faith. They're going to hold our entertainment. They're going to hold our nature. And they're going to be what our descendants, as we are now the ancestors of the next generations, mm -hmm. 
And we're going to make sure that we convey more than ever before. And this is a Project 2030. Lawyers, builders, construction people, all of it. We're going to create both the legal structures necessary to make this happen. We're going to create the motivational structures to make this happen. And most importantly, we're going to create the communication to allow everybody to benefit, not just our own tradition. And I think this is a very powerful aspect of it. So our last thought here is that I believe is that do you want to join us? You know, you, I know the tradition, Corellian tradition, is very much into this. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And so if you don't think it's possible, just remember this. You do overestimate what you can do in a year. Simply put, this year all I'm going to focus on is creating that first reality show, that first set of things, just like I created a year of uh, podcasting, just like we created a year of Magic TV. And we struggled with it. And I'm going to struggle with this, and you can help me with that by helping out travel. And we underestimate what we can do in a decade. More than, more hundreds of hours of video. Literally thousands of hours of videos, thousands of hours of radio. So right today, you can say, oh, that's just not, not true. But if you know what we can do, I think um, you understand this better. So we're going to struggle this year in 2020 to get this vision done, but we're going to take and make sure that we're representing the media properly, and through that representation of the media, we're going to help put people together so that they can build their projects and we can support them in any way they can. And most importantly, I think that I think uh, while I'm out being you know being Ed, I think uh, Lord Don here. I think one of the most important things that he does is that he has a very important role to play in all of this, and that is that he will continue to work with leaders across the board. And you have, I mean, absolutely. So I want them to leave with one last thought, one really important thought. So. People don't know one of my life missions was to get the Parliament of World Religions to recognize us as a global faith. Mm -hmm. In 1993, we were ostracized. We were barely recognized. And then that would happen. But in 2009, you went to the Parliament of World Religions. Mm -hmm. I was so proud to have you there. And it was the year that we saw no Wicca. Mm -hmm. No Wicca whatsoever. So... We did not see Wicca. Paganism was there. Paganism is an indigenous faith. And that really kind of cut. It really cut deep. Mm -hmm. And so in 2018, which is an important part of our decade-long century, Don proposed and we helped, a lot of people helped mm -hmm. out. Can you talk about that aspect of the presenting the global, Wicca as a global faith of the Parliament of World Religions? Uh, well, it was involved with the Global Wicca Summit which was an official pre-parliament event, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, broadcast through Pagans Tonight Radio, through Magic TV, um, and through a variety of other platforms. And at the parliament, we had a panel talking about the things that we uh, observed and experienced through that process mm -hmm. of having the Global Wicca Summit. Uh, it was myself, uh, Belladonna Laveau, uh, Stephanie Leon Neal, uh, Dusty Dion, and of course, Selena Fox. And we had a wonderful presentation to a packed room and uh, very well received and uh, basically on the idea of Wicca as a global religion.
So this and you can see it on Magic TV. And we recorded it, and the summit's still available too on yes. the Daily Spell. So understand, we're not just talking fantasies here. Dream well. And this underscores what we're actually talking about. You don't have to take our word for the fact that there was a Global Wicca Summit. It's all preserved there to see. Um, you don't have to take our word that this was presented at the Parliament. It's there to be seen. You don't have to take our word about the, uh, the Fellowship of ISIS conventions in Chicago. They're there on Magic TV. The St. Louis Pagan Picnic, it's there on Magic TV. The inaugural sweeping of Obama yeah. presidency. Absolutely. I mean, that was kind of one of those national events. It's the only thing of its kind that I'm aware of having happened. You, you can see it on Magic TV. It's still there. Regardless of your political opinions, as an event, it is history. And so now we're telling you that we need to do this even better. Mm -hmm. Our cultural transmission needs to be more permanent. So not just so we're asking it for our tradition, but we're asking you to join us to preserve and protect your tradition. And let us help you in this creation. And with that, I thank you for listening to us. Vision 2030, the transmission of culture. The permanence of our community is very important. Absolutely. And so join us for Vision 2030, our next big goal. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.